The Leslie Marshall Show, a true democracy in talk radio. Of, for, and by you, the people. Welcome to the Leslie Marshall Show. This is Mark Grimaldi in for Leslie Marshall just for the next hour. Uh, Leslie will be joining us in uh, just under an hour as she uh, returns from her television appearances today on Fox News Channel where she is a contributor. Check out any of her videos uh, from her appearances right at the website lesliemarshallshow.com. But in the meantime, I'm pleased to be joined for this first half hour by a name that you all know very well if you listen to the Leslie Marshall Show, and that's good friend uh, Nicholas Wapshot, who is the opinion editor of Newsweek and an author. His newest book is titled The Sphinx, Franklin Roosevelt, The Isolationists, and The Road to World War II. You can find that at www.norton.com forward slash books. And Amazon.com, he's also a good follow on Twitter. That's at NWAPSHOT, that's W-A-P-S-H-O-T-T. Nicholas, welcome back to the show. Thank you very much. It's always a pleasure to be here, Mark. Same here, same here. So uh, I guess I I shouldn't have been surprised by uh, some of the craziness that came out of the RNC yesterday. I kind of um, was thinking that, you know, some of the unpredictability or the major unpredictability that had been uh, a major part of the Trump campaign early on uh, had been somewhat settling down uh, once Paul Manafort took over for Corey and Lewandowski and Trump started reading from teleprompters more and, you know, things like that, um, not tweeting immediately after tragedies like he had done uh, before, uh, maybe having some more measured responses with press releases that you could tell someone else wrote. And then yesterday, which a lot of it wasn't from Trump himself, but from, you know, what his team put together uh, for the RNC, kind of went back to the chaos that we were used to seeing uh, earlier uh, in the campaign. And we're actually going to play in just a minute uh, a piece of uh, Michelle Obama's speech from 2008 and then Melania Trump's speech uh, from the RNC yesterday, uh, which a lot of people have heard. But in case you haven't, um, we're actually going to play that now and give everyone a listen and, and find out what the uh, what the craze has been about. Barack and I were raised with so many of the same values. My parents impressed on me the values. Like, you work hard for what you want in life. That you work hard for what you want in life. That your word is your bond, that you do what you say you're going to do. That your word is your bond, and you do what you say. That you treat people with dignity and respect that you treat people with respect because we want our children and all children in this nation to know that because we want our children in this nation to know the only limit to the height of your achievements is the reach of your dreams that the only limit to your achievements is the strength of your dreams and your willingness to work hard for them and your willingness to work for them 
So, uh, a little awkward, uh, definitely not word for word, but about as close as you can get. And the fact that it was uh, potential future first ladies at their conventions, uh, it was it was pretty crazy to see. Once people put them side by side, it was one thing when I read them, but another thing to hear them. Uh, what's your reaction been to this, Nicholas? It's, it must be a, a video and audio editor's Christmas right now. I mean, everybody's been cutting and splicing all of these things in order to get them in order to show that they, of course, it's, it's somebody's cut and paste, an old uh, Michelle Obama thing, among them, no doubt, a whole collection of other junk that were thrown into this speech. But nobody was in charge of it. Trump must be furious. He's paying through the nose to get people to work for him. And uh, he's got a ramshackle campaign, and they can't even get his wife's speech right, and instead of uh, talking about what other nonsense they were putting on yesterday, they spoke instead about this fantastic story. Isn't it a wonderful story? It's a classic piece of uh, total nonsense in the middle of a convention like this, which was already going wrong, by the way. It already got off the rails earlier in the day when this notional never-Trump uh, movement finally raised its head and actually did something. At least they shouted and squealed. And they were stamped upon, as uh, one might expect from Donald Trump. Everything we know about Donald Trump makes, means that he's an authoritarian personality, isn't he? He's, he's always regal. The way that he's showing his family off, it's that we're going to elect a royal family here. It's going to be King Donald. I don't think it's going to be just a president in the normal way. We're going to have to have all of those other uh, hangers-on, just like there are in England. Yeah, it is kind of bizarre when you see how many slots have been given to his family to speak about him. But then another point that someone made is when you look at the the trouble that the RNC was having getting speakers to actually attend the convention and getting major keynote speakers, maybe this was a way to kind of balance, and for them, from a PR standpoint anyway, filling those slots and then trying to show, quote-unquote, a softer side of Donald Trump. But even that blew up in their face because no one's talking about anything except for the, like you said, clearly plagiarized paragraph from the Melania uh, Trump speech. Um, speaking uh, about the, the convention floor fight yesterday, um, we had many delegates complaining that there should have been a roll call, not just a simple voice vote. And we have some audio I'm going to play of former uh, Republican U.S. Senator Gordon Humphrey of uh, New Hampshire uh, saying what, what happened yesterday to him is eerily similar to uh, fascism. We're going to play that right now, and then, and then we'll get your thoughts on the whole process there, Nicholas, and his comments as well. Actually, on the way to Maine, I, I ran into a former senator from another northeastern state, Gordon Humphrey, who we were speaking with earlier. Senator Humphrey is a part of this movement. Uh, senator Humphrey, the Colorado delegation, as you can see right there, has vacated their seats and walked out uh, of the convention floor. What's your reaction to that? I think it's more than justified. Um, I sought to be recognized to raise a, a point of parliamentary inquiry and was immediately drowned out by people I would refer to as brown shirts around in my surroundings. As a, as a member, a former member of the U.S. Senate, uh, is this how this procedure is supposed to work? We're being governed, as I asked you before, by the rules of the House of Representatives. Uh, is this fair? Is this right? Well, you just saw the most important, second most important item of business rushed through in a split second with no opportunity for debate, no opportunity for questions, no opportunity for points of order, and no roll call vote, although nine states under the rules requested a roll call vote and should, demanded a roll call vote and should have been accorded that 
quote. So this was pretty shocking and shameful. I've seen a lot. But this, this is not a meeting of the Republican National Committee. This is a meeting of brown shirts. What do you mean by that? I mean peace, people who act like fascists. They might not be fascists, but they act like fascists. They have the manners or the lack of manners of fascists. And in this respect, they are only too reflective of Donald Trump himself. And uh, so do you have a message to Donald Trump? You're a former United States senator. What's your message for the presumptive nominee based on what happened here? Never Trump. Never Trump. All right, Steve, we're going to continue over to the main. So some pretty strong comments by former U.S. Senator Gordon Humphrey. Uh, you saw, you heard some of the chaos in the background there, Nicholas. What did you think of the way that the proceedings uh, rolled out there? There's a lot of, I guess, really behind-the-scenes things that are confusing to a lot of people as far as how many states needed to actually be um, on, on record as wanting an official roll call. And a lot of this was kind of arbitrary in the sense that, um, you know, it didn't expect to have enough votes for it to happen. But a lot of people saying that the Trump people actually made this worse by not just simply letting these people register their opinion and having it be done with. And instead, now you have people angry saying that their voices weren't heard. Yeah, I mean, whichever way you look at it, it's not very good for Mr. Trump, actually. First of all, it shows that he is an autocratic ruler who won't allow any form of dissent. And that's not exactly what uh, the Republican Party wants if they have Trump as the president. They want a lively debate in order to push him in one direction or the next. So it doesn't bode very well for the future. It's very bad politics, too, I think, to shut out your opponents within your own party. It's always better, I think it was Lyndon Johnson who said, it's always better to have them inside the tent pissing out than outside the tent pissing in. (laughs) And so... What, what we got here is just the, the most horrible clash of this slap that you, we're not interested in your views at all. It leaves very little chance of party unity in the end. And Mr. Trump's going to need to get every last Republican out to vote. And if you've got a, a sizable number, these are people who, uh, delegates who have uh, voted on the backs of Cruz or other delegates, including uh, Rubio and so on, they're not attached to Trump in any case. There are a lot of uh, morning after to regrets in some of the delegates that are pro-Trump. A lot of them, in any case, are not pro-Trump. They just have to obey the command of the, pr- the primaries. So there's quite a lot of dissent bubbling away. I'd be very interested to know whether they can do any other stunts. There are other procedural methods, all rather arcane. This is, uh, you know, internal sort of insider baseball of politics that uh, very few people ever venture into. But uh, they can, if they want, actually disrupt the, the game further. But I can't help thinking, actually, that the Never Trump movement has for a very long time been a sort of headless corpse wandering around like a zombie. Uh, they, they're going nowhere very fast because there's not enough of them. And what's more, they haven't got a replacement for Trump. Some of the waiting in the wings was some sort of star turn who was going to, some savior, some white knight who was going to save them from Trump. There's no one at all. The last time that uh, they came up with somebody, uh, he shaved his beard off and then uh, that was about the last anyone heard of him. So I'm not sure that uh, we're going to see uh, Trump overturned. But but what this episode does show is Trump is his nastiest. Uh, Now, of course, Trump isn't 
uh, dictating all of these things. That's not how dictators work in this sense. He just has set a very low bar for civility, and a lot of old-school Republicans have certainly felt this is a sort of personal uh, piece of bad manners beyond repair, and I think that it just won't help them. They, why, why would they bother to go and help uh, Trump to become president in November, uh, between now and November? Why would they waste their time having not been treated uh, very kindly on the floor of the uh, convention? I think that's really the key, Nichols, and we'll talk about that more once we get back from break, but not necessarily that this, as you said, would res- result in someone replacing Trump as the nominee, but moving on to the next point, which is this is their convention. This is where the party is supposed to unify, so this is their best opportunity to do so. And instead, um, you know, whatever you think of the Republicans and Trump looking at yesterday, I don't see how you can come away and say that that that's happening, that the party seems to be unifying, uh, you know, with what happened yesterday. But we'll talk more about that after this break. If you'd like to uh, talk with Nicholas Wapshot, who is the uh, opinion editor of Newsweek and an author, you can do so at 8886 That's 888 This is Mark Grimaldi in for Leslie Marshall, and we will be right back with you after this quick commercial break. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of truth. The Leslie Marshall Show, 888-6-LESLIE. To the Leslie Marshall Show. This is Mark Romaldi in for Leslie Marshall, joined again by Nicholas Wapshot, the opinion editor of Newsweek and an author. And we are going to go to a call now who wanted to discuss uh, the topic of Melania Trump's uh controversial paragraph from her speech that many uh, are saying was lifted from Michelle Obama's uh, convention speech from 2008. Uh, We go to uh, Reggie in Decatur, Georgia. Reggie, thanks for calling in. Uh, What are your thoughts on this? Well, I think it was plagiarized from Michelle Obama's speech back in 2008, which was eight years ago. But, you know, the Trump camp, the, both the Trump campaign and Fox News Channel were denied that it was stolen or plagiarized from Michelle Obama's speech eight, from eight years ago. You, you got Brian Kimmel of Fox News defending it. You got some conservatives defending it, or most of them defending it. I think you have a lot of people. I mean, I've seen some people doing that, but a lot of people, you know, can't do that with a straight face. And instead, you know, you've seen this unorganized effort by the Trump campaign to try to, you know, deflect. First, they deny it. Then they try to deflect blame. You also had, which I thought was kind of interesting today. We'll actually play that. We have it here. Um, Corey Lewandowski, the former Trump campaign manager, uh, seemingly taking a swipe at current campaign manager uh, Paul Manafort about if he bears responsibility for this uh, snafu. Take a listen. I don't think so. But you don't need to apologize. You need accountability, right? That's what a good leader does, holds people accountable. I've been held accountable in this campaign. Other people should be held accountable in the campaign. You don't need to apologize, but you need to fix it so it doesn't happen again. Who's to say 
that this same staff person isn't involved tonight and doesn't make the same mistake again. Corey, who are you talking about needs to do this? Are you talking about Donald Trump needs to do this, or are you saying Paul Manafort needs to do this as the campaign train? I think Paul needs to take a a deep look inside and understand what the process was, make sure the protocols are in place, make sure that there is a check and balance of every speech that's going to go forward, and whoever signed off was the final sign-off that allowed this to go forward should be held accountable. And if it was Paul Manafort, he should be held accountable? I think if it was Paul Manafort, he'd do the right thing and resign. You think Paul Manafort will resign if if the... If this comes to he being the last if person, he, if he's the last person saw this and saw this happen and has brought this on the candidate's wife, I think he would resign because I think it's the type of person he would be. So maybe not a, a surprise, I guess, that Corey Lewandowski doesn't have any uh, happy feelings t- towards his replacement, Paul Manafort. But I was a little surprised to hear that. Yeah, it's, it's getting more like the Game of Thrones, isn't it? Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, it started off with the, the Apprentice, but it's moving now into sort of deep, sort of almost mythical Tudor history or something, where they're now knifing each other in the front pretty happily. The, I mean, the Trump campaign is a real shower, isn't it? I mean, it's, it doesn't really amount to very much. He's tried to do everything on the cheap all along. I guess he's paying Manafort an enormous amount because he's about the only adult in the room, as this ludicrous speech uh, shows. Uh, now, the good, having made this terrible error by hiring some sort of intern in order to write your wife's speech, when it, that went wrong, the, the good politics would be to say, terrible error, great mistake, wonderful speech by Mrs. Obama, and move on. No, but no, they, they, they're in the hole and they're digging fast by hotly denying it. By the way, who would be one of those Trump spokespeople? You know, the Republican strategist and spokesman for the Trump campaign. They have to defend the indefensible day in and day out. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. the latest thing. Having to deny that the identical words were indeed identical. Yeah, you're right. That's got to be one of the worst jobs to wake up to every day because you just have PR disaster after PR disaster. In our last uh, minute and a half here, Nicholas, um, if you if you, looking at today, uh, or excuse me, yesterday and then today, a very underwhelming list of speakers. I mean, you had people like underwear model Antonio Sabato Jr., Scott Bayo. I mean, it was pretty weak. And then you had Jody Ernst, one of the few U.S. senators and a female to boot, get absolutely you know no coverage yesterday because they put her in the last slot and the arena was basically empty. So that seems like it was a big error as well. Yeah, it's like one of those sort of Las Vegas hotels that's got the wrong act. You know, people are not uh, not turning up for it, for the whole show because it's, I must say it's pretty unappetizing. And watching it on the TV, it's I mean it's hard put to actually stick with it, isn't it? <laughs> it's much better to record it and then zip through all of the dull bits, and you get through it in about twenty minutes. Uh, it's a it's a sort of tragedy in a way that uh, uh, you know this is meant to be an exercise in democracy, and it's an exercise in sort of pure poor showman. Uh, by a wholly inadequate uh, group of uh, impresarios. You would have thought that Trump at least would have put on a good show for himself, but it doesn't seem to be very interesting because he can't get any big names. Uh, and, you know, you can't have all raves from the grave like Giuliani, who I thought was going to have a blow a gasket last night. He was oh, my God, <laughs> Nicholas, he looked like he should have been on Breaking Bad as one of the, like, meth addicts who ran out of product or something when Walter White went out of business. But... Uh, unfortunately, that's all the time we have. Check out Nicholas on Twitter at NWAPSHOT and uh, go get his book, The Sphinx, Franklin Roosevelt, The Isolationist, and The Road to World War II. You can get it at www.norton.com forward slash books and amazon.com. This is Mark Grimaldi, and we'll be right back.